the Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Hi, podcast listeners. Welcome back to another episode. I was just thinking, Wendy, you know, you leaned down to push that record button when we start our podcast. Mm-hmm. Remember the time we thought we had recorded an episode? Oh, that was painful. <laughs> we said some really good stuff, oh. too. <laughs> Lost forever. And it just went out into the ether. <laughs> it never became an episode because we looked at the end. There was nothing recorded. Nothing was recorded. <laughs> ah! Well, now we can laugh. That's good. I'm looking, and there are indications that we are indeed We're recording right now. Recording. Very good. Right now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. How's everybody doing out there? <laughs> Thank you for being part of our podcast audience. We are very blessed to have you. We have some exciting things coming up at the Theology of the Body Institute. Please check the links in the show notes. We have our second annual virtual conference coming up. Last year, it was just that perfect storm of COVID. Everybody was home and looking to do things. Mm. And it was before the whole world was doing online conferences. I think there had been one kind of major event online uh, before we did our virtual conference last year, and it was so surprisingly successful. We had over 77,000 people registered for our online conference last year. So we said, this is something we got to do every year. So we are doing it again the weekend of April 30th to May 2nd. You can register now. It's free of charge to register. All new presentations. All new presentations. Yes, we have Mm -hmm. all new presentations. Learn uh, about our speaker list by clicking the link in the show notes. We have some exciting online courses coming up at the Theology of the Body Institute as well. TOB1 in April. Uh, I forget the specific dates, but you can click the link to find out. And in May, we have Theology of the Body and the Marian Mystery, the favorite course I've ever taught. I've only taught it once. We recorded it for the online version. And man, coming into the depth of Mary's womb, that's what the course is all about. That's where we encounter Christ. That's where he came to earth. God came to earth through woman's womb, through woman's fertility, bedrock, biblical principle. What does it mean? Everything the Catholic Church teaches about Mary is to safeguard the truth of Christ in the flesh and what all that means. So if you want to dive deep, check out that link. Would love to have you as a student in these online courses. Do we have our first question, which is, as usual, from our patron? Mm -hmm. This is from Margaret. Hello, Margaret. Margaret, thank you so much for being a patron of this work. We can't do it without your support. Thank you. Yes. Margaret says, I'm interested in getting involved in pro-life ministry. Would you please share how you got started in ministry work? Well, that's a fun question to answer. How did I get involved in ministry work? I encountered a beauty that rocked my world and changed my life in my early 20s. I had been raised in the church in the 70s and 80s, but in my teenage years in the 80s, I left. Um, I was attracted by 
uh, the secular culture's promise of happiness because the version of Catholicism that I had growing up was, if you're familiar with my writings and such, you've heard me talk about the starvation diet gospel. <laughs> that's, that's how Christianity felt to me. The way it was presented or the way I received it or some combination thereof just felt like all my desires were, were bad and I had to repress them to, to follow these rules. Well, that was no fun. I didn't want any part of that, really. Um, so I f followed what I've come to call the fast food gospel, uh, the promise of immediate gratification. And yeah, it gave immediate gratification, but to go along with the metaphor, it what happens if you just eat a lot of fast food? You get pretty sick. And that's where I was in my college years, feeling all that grease and sodium catching up with me. And I I cried out. I put me on my knees and I started a journey. And I came to discover, especially through the help of St. John Paul II, that Christianity is a banquet. It's this beautiful encounter with the love that satisfies the deepest hungers of our hearts. And it puts us on a journey of real hope. That's how I'd say it. I discovered hope. Mm. I discovered a hope that changed me. I discovered a hope that 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 corresponded to the to the ache, to the infinity of my yearning. I found a hope that that ache, that infinite yearning, has a place to go. And I I just knew I had to tell people. Mm -hmm. And it all started by, um, well, started, Wendy, when you asked me, <laughs> in many ways, it started when you asked me to, to give a talk at Catholic U, mm -hmm. uh, long before we were married. Well, not all that long before we were married. What was that, 94, right? Yeah. And we got married a year and a half later. Yeah, you and I were friends when when I was discovering this banquet, mm -hmm. as I call it, and and you heard me exuberantly talking about it. And why don't you tell the story? When I think back on that time, I, I see you definitely, there are different components to the start of ministry that maybe one doesn't even realize it is the start yeah. of a ministry at yeah. the time. Because there's, there's kind of this hunger that you felt that caused you to keep learning, both through your, your prayer life, which was a kind of a, a learning of your own heart and mm -hmm. experiencing God's presence there. Um, and, and through reading scripture, through reading spiritual authors who were speaking to those questions of your heart. So there was a, this kind of hunger and, you know, filling that hunger in your own life. There was, um, some writing that you began to do mm -hmm. just in little ways First, writing in a journal, maybe writing a paper. There was, um, conversations with other people that involve you sharing, but also you listening to yes, them. Yes. And all of that is so essential to a real ministry because we can't just think that if we learn something and talk about it without being a listener, that somehow we're actually ministering to people. You you need to be able to receive the other and, and respond. And so all of that is part of starting a ministry. And I saw all of that when I look back on it, that was where you were in that early stage. That's interesting just to have you, to hear you hold that mirror up to, to that time in our mm -hmm. lives. And I, I agree, it, it was that. And we knew right when we got married that we had a particular calling on our marriage that was unusual. It's not the typical path. 
And part of my wedding proposal to you, as I know you remember, was inviting you to be part of this with me. Mm -hmm. I knew it was going to flow through our marriage. The real gift we have to offer the world is not the books I've written or the talks that I give or even this podcast. The, the real gift we have is our sacrament. Mm. As my spiritual director once put it to me, he said, Christopher, the only thing you know that you have to offer the world that is efficacious in communicating the mystery of Christ is your sacrament. Mm. And that's that's been a, a constant throughout our, our lives as well. That doesn't mean you can't start a ministry if you're not you know, living the sacrament of marriage, obviously not. Or if you're an ordained priest, those would be two examples of ministry flowing through a sacrament that is a, a life calling. But I know lots of lay people who are single who also run ministries, but it's not something you you, you do lightly. Mm. I, I always advise people it is it is 99.999% letting it happen. Mm. And that little fraction of a percent means, yeah, you got to make phone calls, you got to knock on some doors. But if you're finding yourself having to pound down doors to get opportunities, something is, is not right. This would be my little word of wisdom to Margaret. Margaret, it's like giving birth. Ministry is something you conceive from the Holy Spirit just like Mary conceived Christ, and then you give birth to Christ. And, it, it, you know, Mary, I'm sure, had lots of questions like, what's this is going to be like? I'm on a donkey. I'm riding to Bethlehem. Where am I going to give birth? How's this all going to happen? This is mm -hmm. uncomfortable. I'm not sure. Oh, my gosh, we knocked on that door to stay at the inn, and they wouldn't even let us in. What are we going to do now? The, the, the grandest ministry ever offered the human race happened in the most unlikely of places, mm. in, a, in a hole in the ground, a cave in Bethlehem. You know, it, it, that's a kind of uh, paradigm for, for understanding ministry. There, there are going to be curveballs. There are going to be doors you knock on and they're not opened, and then you end up in a dark place with creepy crawlies around you and Christ is born. What the heck? But that's really how, how ministry is. You conceive it and you give birth to it. And, and in that moment of giving birth, it's not like Mary even had to ask, how's this going to happen? It happened unto her and through her. And this is why John Paul II says it's so important. I start off every TOB1 I ever teach, I start with this quote from John Paul II. The Marian dimension of the church precedes the Petrine dimension of the church. What the heck does that mean? I'm not telling. What's the next question? No, come on. Tell us. <laughs> tell us. <laughs> the, the, the Sorry. The Marian dimension is the let it be done unto me. The mm -hmm. Petrine dimension is go and make disciples of all nations, right? Mm -hmm. the, the basic principle we all know and can relate to is, is this. You cannot give what you do not have. Ministry is something you give birth to, something you conceive and give birth to. It's a gift from the Lord. And yeah, go along with the, the imagery here, uh, labor pains, labor pains. Uh, theological tradition, of course, holds that Mary did not experience labor pains in giving birth to Christ because it was a miraculous birth. 
but Mary indeed experienced labor pains at the foot of the cross in giving birth to the mystical body of Christ, and that's you and me. That's all of us, right? All the baptized. So Mary, Mary is the one I would invite you to turn to, Margaret, for the model of what it means to be doing ministry, uh, opening to the Holy Spirit, conceiving, giving birth. That's how it happens. So, Margaret, that would be my, my word of advice to you. A ministry is something you conceive from the Holy Spirit, you bear inside deeply in your heart, and you give birth through many, many labor pains. But those labor pains really and truly do bring new life to others. I, I would, I'd even say, you know, in 25 years of doing this, um, there, have been, there have been great labor pains, great sufferings, uh, sufferings I, I would not have expected. But I have seen time and time again that it's through those sufferings I find myself profoundly united with Jesus, and that brings new life. That's how it works. Margaret, I, I, I just want to say before we go on to our next question, once again, thank you for being a patron. We're so happy to be able to answer your question as a patron. Just a reminder to all the listeners, the first question of every podcast comes from a patron. We can't do this work without people like Margaret, who support us month to month and allow us to continue our work. If you want to boost your chances of having a question answered on our podcast, being a patron is a great way to do it, and you can check out the link below to learn more. Next question is from Catherine. Hello, Catherine. I'm a 25-year-old practicing Catholic. I've been really struggling recently with my image of God the Father and of Jesus. I was sexually assaulted. Mm, mercy physically and mentally abused oh mercy i'm so by my sorry own father mercy god in heaven which has altered the way i perceive older men and especially jesus mercy. now as an adult i would say that i have a good prayer life i receive sacraments regularly but in the depths of my soul there's a part of me that has been corrupted in regards to all things having to do with fatherhood yes catherine yes catherine i hear your heart it's like I know the difference in my mind. I even gave Theology of the Body talks to other students in college campus ministry, but in my heart and my memory, there's still an inner struggle with believing and understanding what a good father is. Mm. Catherine, I want to tell you right away that I hear the work of the Spirit in your life, the Holy Spirit. I hear it in your question. I hear it in your heart. I hear it in your suffering. I hear it in your very ability to recognize that at the root of this real and very understandable difficulty in relating to God as Father is the abuse that you suffered at the hands of your own Father. And I, I, this is nothing we've ever done on a podcast before. It might seem a little strange because podcast you're supposed to be talking all the time. But I want to I want to invite us all, Wendy, you and me first, but all the listeners, can we just take a few moments of silence just in reverence for Catherine's suffering? Mm. It's in silence that we can listen. So let's just take a few moments of silence.
I'm hearing in this silence the deep groan of Christ, the deep cry of his heart on the cross, in which in unspeakable agony, the Son of God, who knew the love of the Father from all eternity, was at his bosom, was at his side in an intimacy we can barely begin to fathom. That son who knew that intimacy from the depths of his human heart and the agony he experienced in his passion cried out, my God, my God, why, why, why have you abandoned me? Mm. Catherine, I hear that cry in your heart. I hear that question, that deep, aching question in your heart. This is a mystery that Christ, in his very union with the Father, he never was separated from the Father, but in the union with the Father, he felt abandoned. How, what, it, it's a mystery we can't even begin to understand, but, but the saints tell us they know something of it in their experience. I'm reminded of reading in John Paul II's document, Novo Millenio Inuente, which was his document at the dawn of the new millennium. He talks about contemplating the face of the sorrowful Christ. And he's entering exactly into this cry of abandonment of Christ on the cross. And, and he says, before this, we can only remain silent in adoration, uh, just reverencing the mystery. And he says, theological tradition has not failed to, to ask, how is this possible that, that Christ could experience the, the intimacy of union with the Father that is always a source of joy? And cry out, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Which is a, a, a cry of agony. And he points to the saints. He points to uh, Catherine of Siena, who talks about experiencing this strange blending of bliss and pain. He points to uh, the, the little flower, Therese, who says uh, in her reflection on the agony of Christ, it, 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 was, it was agonizing what Jesus went through, and yet there was, there was also communion with the Father, and she says, I don't understand it, but I can tell you from my own experience it, I've tasted something of it. Mm. All of this to say, Catherine, in that abject sorrow of your life, in that abject suffering of being abused by your Father, it's a mystery. I don't intend in any way to, to, to solve the mystery, but just to acknowledge the mystery you were in union with Christ in his cry of abandonment. And if you are, oh no, let me go the other direction. If Christ is in union with you in your cry of abandonment, and if Christ is God, then you were not abandoned by God in that suffering. Christ was with you in it. This is the mystery. This is the astounding mystery of Christianity. Our sufferings are not erased 
our sufferings themselves are born by God, born by his Son. In his very body, he bears them. This means, Catherine, that Christ knows your sufferings intimately, and that you yourself are in profound intimacy with Christ in that cry, in that struggle. How could God be Father? How could God be a loving Father when I've experienced what I've experienced? Isn't that what Christ is saying on the cross? My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? How, how, can, how can this be possible that God is love and we go through the sufferings we go through? That God is a loving Father and we endure what we endure at the hands of, of people like Catherine has endured. John Paul II says this, if the agony of Christ on the cross had not happened, the idea that God is love would be unfounded. Astounding. Astounding. God shows his love for us in this. He does not erase our sufferings, but he bears them himself. And Christ's cry of abandonment on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? without erasing the abject suffering and the real why, the real question why, it becomes, despite everything, a surrendering of his spirit to the Father. It becomes, despite everything, a proclamation of trust and abandonment that God really is his loving Father. And Christ was proven right. How do we know this? He was resurrected, and every suffering he bore was glorified, transformed into joy, into glory. And Catherine, Christ says, follow me. Follow me into this cry of abandonment, and your cry also will be transformed into an act of complete trust and surrender into the arms of a Father who is love, and your wounds, Catherine, will be glorified. This is our faith. This is the promise. If it's not real, if it's not real, our faith is in vain. If the resurrection is not real, our faith is in vain. If there is no promise that our sorrow can be transformed into joy, if there is no promise that our questions of who is God, how can God love me, how can God possibly be Father when I've endured what I've endured, when Catherine has endured what, he, what she has endured, how can God be Father? And it becomes very understandable, the temptation to abandon the very idea that God is Father. But when we do that, we are projecting onto God the Father our own experience of, of broken fatherhood. It goes the other direction. We shouldn't measure God the Father, based on our own earthly fathers. Rather, we should measure our earthly fathers against who God has revealed himself as Father. And Catherine, when you do that, you discover that God so loved you as his daughter that he sent his Son to be with you 
in that horrific abuse you endured so that you can be with Christ in the glory of resurrected life and union with the Father who knows you and loves you eternally. This is our faith. This is our faith. Catherine, I know that you hold this faith, and I invite you to, to cry out, I do believe, Lord, help my unbelief, and I believe the more you enter into that kind of prayer, the more that question of relating to God as Father will be met with God the Father's mercy experienced through the Son who was with you and suffered in you in the abuse that you have suffered. I have such a, a sense of many people just having some tears right now, and I, I just want to honor each person that is you know, hearing these things and having painful memories and questions in your heart right now as we're talking about these things that I pray that the Lord will reveal to you in a particular way his presence with you in every, every experience of your life. And we all have those memories where it seems, where were you, Lord? Where were you? And he wants to show us. He wants us to be, um, to have that question answered in a very personal way. And that's my prayer for each one of you that shedding some tears right now, um, that, that the Lord would wipe those tears and show you where he was and where he is and where he's taking you on your journey. One of the greatest lessons I've learned about the real sufferings that we endure in this life uh, comes from my, my mentor, uh, Lorenzo Albacete. He died in 2014. He was a close friend of John Paul II's, and I was so honored to study under Albacete and, and know him for almost 20 years in my life. And he had such a reverence for those who suffer. And I remember a story he told of uh, someone who had been through the Holocaust, had, had witnessed just horrors beyond what we can fathom or, or imagine. And Albacete says, one of the worst things we can do for those who suffer is to explain away their sufferings. Uh, and he, he used to point to the story of Job in the Old Testament. And the friends of Job always tried to explain the sufferings. You know, you're suffering because of this. You're suffering because of that. You're suffering, fill in the blank. And he points out that Jesus changes the whole paradigm when he says that this person was born blind not because his parents were sinners. This person was born blind to reveal the glory of God. What? 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 Our sufferings are small and great are allowed because God can bring about a greater glory. But in the story that Albacete would tell of this person who had witnessed the Holocaust, he, he shared that all the person could do when others were trying to explain away the sufferings, all the person could do was embrace him and weep. And Albacete would say, this is the authentic response of faith to those 
who suffer, to suffer with them. That's Christ's example, to suffer with. Catherine, we love you. We thank you for being brave enough to submit that question. And uh, we just say yes to being brother and sister to you in your, in your suffering as much as we can over the, the airwaves of a podcast. Mm. Amen. Our next question is from an anonymous listener. He says, hi, Christopher and Wendy. Hi. I've been struggling with pornography for a long time and have been praying for the Lord to help me overcome it. I'm also struggling with depression and hopelessness due to this problem and other things. I'm currently studying classical art in an institute where we work with nude models all day long. I've found myself tempted quite often and there have been times I've had to avoid class because of the struggle not to objectify the women who were posing. Even though I know it's not intrinsically evil, do you think it would be wise for me to stay away while I find healing? God bless you, good brother. Wow, you're bringing up so many important questions. So bringing up so many important questions. Uh, we, we don't have time to, to go into all the nuances and details that would be required to give a thorough response. Uh, really, I could write a, a doctoral dissertation just in, in responding to your question, and it would be worthy. It would be a worthy question for a doctoral dissertation. Um, but let me just say a few things that I hope will give you some food for thought. When you're in a burning building, uh, get out. So I do think when you are running into that temptation, going into the uh, figure drawing class, that you're going to be looking at these women with that pornographic paradigm uh, yes, don't do it. Don't do it. That said, I would also hold out to you the possibility that maybe the Lord is holding out this figure drawing class as an opportunity to see the human body in a whole new way. My brother, I'm going to speak it and I hope it goes right into your heart. There is another way to see the naked body. And we need not be enslaved by the pornographic paradigm that reduces the body to an object for our own selfish indulgence in lust. Christ came into the world to restore creation to the purity of its origins, the Catechism proclaims. And in the beginning, the man and his wife were both naked and felt no shame. I'm going to point here to the Sistine Chapel as an example. John Paul II says that Michelangelo, in his own way as an artist, allowed himself to be guided by those evocative words from the book of Genesis where we read that the man and his wife were both naked and felt no shame. I would urge you, my dear brother, to, to study John Paul II's teaching. It comes at the end of chapter two of his, chapter two of part one of his Theology of the Body, where he gives us a beautiful meditation on the difference between pornography and 
a proper portrayal of the naked body in art. And the latter can be for us the salvation from the former. And that's why I'm saying to you, it may well be the case that the Lord has put this on your heart to be an artist as something salvific for you. Again, I'll say it very clearly, if you are in the temptation to lust in going to those figure drawing classes, don't go. You're doing the right thing. But don't stop there. Don't think that is the fullness of Christian virtue. We are called to progress in our journey, John Paul II says. We are called through inner death and resurrection. We are called to into real virtue, the virtue of purity. And John Paul II says the virtue of purity enables us to recognize the gratuitous beauty of the human body in its masculinity and its femininity. The gratuitous beauty of being created male and female. And to recognize, and we can through authentic portrayals, uh, sacred portrayals of the naked body in art, we can come to see in and through the human body that the body is the revelation of a divine mystery. The human body in its nakedness is the revelation of a heavenly mystery. The mystery of the eternal exchange of love found in the Trinity and the mystery that God himself wants to sh- wants us to share in that exchange through the marriage of the Lamb. Pornography is a hellish mockery of that heavenly reality. And my brother, you, you're at a crossroads in your life. And I want to call you out into the light. Christ says that we are to put every part of our body into the light. The eye, he says, is the the lamp of the body. And if our eye is sound, our whole body, the whole body, that means all of it, will be illuminated with a supernatural light. But if our eye is bad, our whole body will remain in darkness. My brother, you are confessing that your eye is bad. And your eye is bad because your eye has been trained by pornography. But you have the opportunity through holy art. You have the opportunity to train your eye in goodness. To bring the body into the light, the holy light, the sacred light. As St. John Paul II says, this is in his homily in which he dedicated the restored Sistine Chapel. And let us keep in mind, that John Paul II, in the restoration project of the Sistine Chapel, ordered that many of the loincloths that prudish clerics had ordered be painted over Michelangelo's original nudes, John Paul II said, take them off. Take them off in the name of Christian purity. Because purity, he says, is the ability to see as God sees. The Catechism tells us purity of heart allows us to see as God sees even now, even now. It's not just something we have to wait for in the resurrection at the end of time. Yes, we won't know the fullness of purity of heart. We won't know the fullness of our redemption until the resurrection at the end of time. But it's in the catechism. Look it up. Even now, the catechism says, purity of heart allows us to see the human body as God sees the human body, as a manifestation of his own beauty, as a temple of the Holy Spirit. And in that homily, John Paul II said, guided by the way God sees, the human body can be unclothed, 
without offending its dignity. God and only God can see the body in its nakedness without offending its dignity. But God and only God can also give us eyes to see as he sees. Let the cry of your heart become, let the cry of your heart become, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. I want to see. And I pray for you right now for the healing of your bad eyes, that your eyes would become sound and that the hellish mockery of the human body that you have seen in pornography would be untwisted, would be redeemed, would be cleansed, that every diseased image and idea of the human body that you have would be cleansed, that your eyes would be sound, and that your whole body and the whole body of every model in your art class would come into the divine light and be illuminated by the divine light and you would see revealed through the human body the revelation of the mystery that has been hidden in God from all eternity. This is our faith. This is the redemption that Christ came to win for us. It is called the redemption of our bodies. Let it be, let it be, let it be. It is the redemption of our bodies. And may every single one of our listeners out there, can I hear an amen? Enter into this redemption and come to know in your bodies that you are indispensable, irreplaceable, and unrepeatable. Become what you are. Ask Christopher West is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you are going through serious difficulty, a list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes. Oh,